and welcome to the Company Watch On The Spot podcast. I'm Joe Kettner, CEO of Company Watch, and I'm joined by Nick Hood, Financial and Commercial Risk Analyst. Welcome, Nick. Good morning, Joe. We are recording today's episode on Thursday, the 3rd of March, and the topic for this week is the economic impact of the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and in particular, looking at supply chain disruption and, and the kind of ripple effects of how that might um, that might look over the, the wider economy. Um, so, Nick, I think you are very clued up on this, although we should say it's kind of changing changing by the minutes, really, um, more or less. But so this is a situation as we're speaking on the 3rd of, of March. At about lunchtime. At about lunchtime. <laughs> when, by mid-afternoon, who knows? <clears throat> who knows? Yes, I mean, uh, I obviously have been through over my career a lot of very major economic shocks. And I remember the uh, the storm of 87 and the collapse of the stock market. I remember the global financial crisis. I remember the oil crisis way back before all of that. I don't think that I've known a situation change quite so quickly and evolve quite so 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 quickly. All right. I mean, compared to things gone before, you know, we have social media and we mm. have inf- we ha- we have information overload. So of course, and we and we have all of this information coming to us in real time. But uh, to give an example. I follow um, one of the most respected motor industry journalists from the FT, Peter Campbell, and trying to keep up with what was going on with the major motor manufacturers yesterday was, you know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm doing notes for talking to everybody today. And, you know, they became inaccurate and redundant, not quite minute by minute, but it was, it was very close to all of that. What is the underlying cause here? It's, it's it's actually the availability of raw materials. Is that the is that what we're talking about, or is it the impact the downstream impact? What's the well, well? I mean, the the headline problem here is. I mean, as as I as we record this, it's probably easier to list the motor manufacturers that haven't shut their plants in Russia or in Germany over the border or nearby. Um, but uh, as I understand it, we now have ten major auto groups mm-hmm. that have halted plants or stopped sales to Russia in the past twenty-four hours. And, wow. and, and of course, the, the you know, obviously there's the there's the political and moral issues about not trading with Russia. But of course, there's a knock-on effect because um, the Ukraine produces. 25% of the world supply of neon gas, which is essential for making semiconductor chips, because it's a byproduct of ancient um, uh, steel, old steel plants. I mean, mm. no doubt the Russians are busy, busy destroying those as we speak. And that actually is a problem. I think that, you know, we're, we're talking about the kind of longer term impacts, but I suppose the actual, the destruction of, of this infrastructure is a longer term problem. This is not something that is potentially fixed by the ending of the war if that were to happen in a short period. There's huge right. amounts of destruction that need to be rebuilt. And it's old, it's old technology, isn't it, that's producing yes. these, these byproducts. So um, there I are know, lots of things. I, I mean, I mean obviously technology will find another way. But again, palladium, Russia has 40% of the market in palladium. It also mm. has a huge share in the market for nickel for batteries. The other problem for the motor manufacturers is 
so many key components coming out of um, the, U- uh, the Ukraine, I mean, particularly wiring harnesses. Right, okay. It's a major centre for producing wiring harnesses. So, you know, whilst most of the plants that have been shut down are in Germany, um, what is actually going to happen is, of course, as the, it's not just the plants closing, it's the stopping of selling to Russia. Mm. which will re- reduce production again initially one suspects in Germany and Eastern Europe and 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 maybe across into Belgium as well but you know and of course that will then affect those companies and it doesn't stop with the motor industry aerospace let's look at aerospace Ukraine is a major supplier of titanium and aluminium which is needed, it's an essential part of, of, of aircraft aircraft mm. and engines. Yeah. So you've got Boeing, Airbus and Rolls-Royce. And they're, of course, also affected by the, the nickel and the palladium issues in terms of not being able to trade. Mm. So, you know, you've got that element of... of, of and this is actually, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we, obviously we had a huge disruption with COVID. Yes. And there's lots of talk about, you know nearshoring or onshoring, you know, to, to, to kind of remove the dependency on the long um, supply chain routes from China and the Far East and so on. And now, of course, you know, any of those um, those 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 kind of nearshore places tend to be kind of Central Eastern Europe, which are having this um, impact. Yeah. So we are, and, and you know, and, and we are still kind of unwinding the disruption that we had from COVID. And then there's a whole new set of disruption that, that is being brought about. Well, well um, I, I hate to hark back to my commercial past but once upon a time i was ceo of a group that made wiring harnesses for the motor industry in essex so maybe maybe not far from uh, from dagenham so maybe maybe we'll be back a revival of um of of course that will have cost implications which we'll we'll come on to so we talked about the motor industry Talked about aerospace, um, but I'd like you, you had a very interesting vignette on so the actual air industry, the the aviation yes. industry in Russia. I'd li- love to talk a bit more about about yeah, this. I mean, that's absolutely fascinating because um, the the issue with the trade embargo with with Russia is that it most airlines carry between one and three weeks inventory of. Spare parts for maintenance. Mm-hmm. Well, almost all of that comes, comes from Boeing, Airbus, Rolls Royce. Only it ain't coming from there anymore. Mm. And I and I read a comment saying that the um, the aviation industry in the airline industry in Russia probably has three weeks. But there's another issue because, of course, the Another sanction, um, Russian airlines have been excluded from the aviation insurance market. And this is interesting that not not only are Russian aircraft banned from lots of the world's airspace, even the airspace that they are allowed into, what happens? Well, I mean, having been excluded overnight from um, access to the uh, the aviation insurance market, those planes are not insured. And, uh, you know, whilst I'm not an aviation expert, my expectation would be, and what I picked up on social media this morning, is that they would not be able to land 
or take off from airports, even where they were allowed to fly by the sanctions. So, you know, it just gets more and more complicated. And then there's a final twist in all of this, because as with almost every airline in the world, the Russian airlines don't actually own the planes. They lease them. And the leasing companies are predominantly in Ireland. So they are caught by the EU sanctions and cannot continue to operate those leases. And so, so what the, happens then? So the, 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 the leases end, but the, presumably the planes are going to be stuck in Russia. Yes. And the, and the um, leasing companies are going to be awfully short of um, revenue flow. Even assuming that Aeroflot or anybody else had any means of paying them because of SWIFT. So it just shows where the ripples, the ripples yeah. go. So, I think that's a problem. Like internally, think about how big Russia is. So wh- whereas, you know, perhaps the, the internal insurance might be something that could be solved for Russians landing in other parts of Russia, but that's a, that's a big country to be, to be left with no um, commercial air industry. So again, I mean, that, that again may cause, cause issues. May cause some, some issues. So we've talked about motor industry, we've talked about aviation and aerospace. There's food affected by all of this. Russia and Ukraine provide 30% of global wheat exports. Mm. And looking this morning at the world price of wheat, it is, uh, when I looked quite early this morning, the price was $11.34 a bushel, not a barrel, but a bushel. Um, A month ago, it was $7.50. That's a big increase. And, of course, the food industry is affected by the um, aluminium issues um, in Russia. If you think about how much uh, of the drinks industry goes into a can, you know, uh, as I say, that is not a totally dominant position. So there's going to be quite a lot of of shuffling of the Mm. supply chains um, going on. So, you know, you see wherever you look, you find... Um, an issue not just for Russia and Russian businesses, not to mention um, Russian citizens. What you find is blowback into the uh, in, in, into the world's economies, including our own. And 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 it strikes me we've got two, maybe three issues that come out of all this for whether you're managing credit risk or you're trying to keep your supply chain functioning. The First one is what what I wrote down here as supply chain ripple. Um, So obviously, if manufacturing plants close, other component suppliers are affected. If um, sales to a major market like Russia are cut off, then volumes reduce and therefore components, you know, the orders fall away. And the second issue is inflation principally, of course, from rising energy prices. I mean, oil, when I last looked this morning, it was $118 a barrel. It was $110 yesterday. Um, Gas rose yesterday 54% in a day. Wow. And and I think I'm right saying it's risen another 40%, uh, the European gas um, price index, another 40% this morning. 
And so you now have um, uh, talk about the energy, you know, the energy price cap for domestic consumers going to three thousand pounds a year in the autumn. But of course, as we keep saying, businesses aren't protected. Um. It's interesting. I was chatting to to a few um, businesses in the manufacturing sector, and the the, the positions seem to be similar actually with shipping costs. You know, where where people had actually kind of been hedging and had bought had forward bought containers, and and so, so lots of the people I've been speaking to had protected themselves. You know, they've got fixed fixed price deals, but again, they're only for a, a certain amount of time. They may be for a, a year, eighteen months. So again, it may not be an issue now, but it certainly will be. An issue in um, in future. This shows no signs of, of going away. And presumably, on the European side, the, the you know famously that the carve out has been for Russian gas not to be really included in the in the sanctions. And there seems to be a kind of growing logical dissonance of of sanctioning Russia on the one hand, but allowing the the gas to come to come through. So if anything is is done on that side, you know that causes all kinds of problems, like three day week and all these other kind of knock on effects that that could potentially be coming coming down the line. Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, not just energy, but the global food price index is this morning back to levels last seen in 2010. And the, um, the, the rise in prices and the impact on ordinary consumers and citizens was what provoked the Arab Spring in 2010. So it, um, it is... Not, well, I mean, it'd be interesting to see what the MPC says about where it thinks inflation is going. Well, that's just, I looked actually at when our next our next um, meeting is seventeenth of of March, so we've got another week and a half or so to wait for um, to wait for for that. But I, it's, the the other thing, the read across that that we were talking about a little bit with with inflation is on sanctions. So there's obviously been some move on um, sanctioning connect individuals and, and companies connected with Russia, but there has been a, you know, there's the, the UK government has been criticised for being a bit slow to act. And I think what they've, the government have said now is that they will publish a list of individuals who may be of interest without actually going on the sanctions list. And this is going to have a kind of sparring effect because already we're seeing companies pulling out, you know, for the reputational damage. So perhaps a little bit of pressure from government, but also, you know, looking at the wider picture and not wanting to be associated with Russia. And as soon as, and, and just as we see with inflation, when people anticipate something happening, you know, it creates a spiral effect. And I, and I think that maybe we're going to start seeing that with the with the, with the sanctions um, regime, that although companies are maybe not officially on lists and individuals are not officially on lists, there will be a growing desire among companies dealing with those um those those people and companies to kind of pull back before um before they appear on the list. So again, I think that's something to 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 watch out for um in terms of how that might impact, you know, we've always said this, look at your look further down, look at your customers, customers, look at your suppliers, suppliers, and understand where the exposure um could be. Yes, I, I agree. Um and, and one other area I, I I picked up, I mean my Twitter timeline for the last 36 hours has been awash with um, wealth management companies and pension funds saying, <clears throat> we are going to get out of all our exposure to Russia. I mean, mainly saying, you know, it's not big. I mean, the, the university um, pension scheme, which is embroiled in a, in a quite different dispute, I mean, it, it's 0.5%. Of, of of their portfolio, they could well do without writing that off. But 
And of course, the trouble is investors are now locked in because mm. we heard this morning that the stock exchange here in London has suspended the shares of 28 Russian companies, Russian-connected companies, and the Russian stock market is closed. <clears throat> um, Russians are prohibited from selling shares. <clears throat> Foreigners in Russia are pro prohibited from selling shares. So actually, we've got this sort of really odd <clears throat> limbo, um, you know, where people would love to sell, but can't. They can't. I mean, never mind who would buy. That's a normal market function of uh, if you end up with a end up with a toxic asset, then um, selling it is always um, always a bit of a a bit of an interesting game. But actually, can't even can't even get that far. Uh, it's not a function of price; it's a function of functionality. Mm. So this this just goes everywhere. And I suppose my last question about all of this is. Uh, you know, not wishing to comment on on the war um, it, itself and what you know what might happen in it, but are we looking at a short term blip, or are we looking at much longer term disruption? You know, the <clears throat> as you said, Joe, the you know what has the damage been in Ukraine? How quickly can that capacity, productive capacity, be? restored um, or replaced elsewhere in Eastern Europe or, <clears throat> or beyond, um, no matter what the outcome is, whether whether Ukraine somehow miraculously survives as being independent or we end up with a puppet uh, regime um, uh, in there seeking to seeking to trade with the with the world. And then you get another interesting moral issue about if there's a puppet regime, do you, uh, do you trade with it? If it's under Russia's control, do you trade with it? You know, and, and then we'll have all those arguments about, well, sanctions always hurt always hurt ordinary people and, and not not the rich and the politically powerful. So yeah, it, seems, it feels hard to imagine that this not being a long-term issue, given what has happened um in, in Ukraine and given the position that has been taken on, on Russia and, and sanctions. Um, but as you say, it's it's um it will be. We we have to wait and see. I I, kind of, I, I feel that, that, that there is no way that this is not going to be a, a short term blip. This is going to be a longer term um, issue. And I think as well, you know, some of the commentary on the on the raw material um, supply issues. It's looking. There is quite a long lead time in getting getting this through the the system. So this this squeeze now, you know, we're already seeing initial effects, but actually we're going to have the, the major impacts will be coming in months in months yeah. time. So goodness me, Joe, <clears throat> we've 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 recorded some. Um, I'm blown if I'm blown if I know what's going on um, podcasts over the um, over the last two years, but this one is that's probably been the most difficult because you know the there seem to be no certainties, yeah. and there's so much about it we we still don't know and we can't predict, and I think it just. Gosh, how many, the, the, it's our perpetual mantra, you know, just get on top of your risks, do what you can to mitigate them. Don't get caught by this if mm -hmm. you can avoid it. 
and those key risks you're not going to get on top of everything look at those really really key risks and understand the the linkages and the chains um that are, are kind of impacting impacting those nick thank you i apologize to, to listeners we, we've had a few um technical issues so apologies if this has um not been the best of sound qualities today i thank you for bearing with us until the end um nick as always thanks so much for um for being our guide through um these really tumultuous times until next time, goodbye. Bye.